0: Welcome to You News, the podcast using the power of Univision to bring the news that matters to you in English. Today is Wednesday, July 21st. I'm Andrea Linares. These are today's headlines. Experts weighing in on new mask mandates as the highly contagious Delta variant sweeps across the nation. That strain now accounting for 83 percent of infections here in the U.S. The nation's largest wildfire, the bootleg blaze, growing in size and intensity. More than 80 fires reported across 13 states so far. And with the clock ticking, can an agreement be reached in Washington on a massive plan to fix the nation's crumbling infrastructure? This and much more today on U News, transmitting live from our newsroom in Miami. More than 91 million people live in U.S. counties with high COVID-19 infections at this time. Some experts even say it's time to put the masks back on. Lorraine Caceres has
1: the very latest on this troubling trend. The Delta variants of COVID-19 now estimated to account for four out of every five cases in the U.S., The Delta variant now represents 83% of sequenced cases. A dramatic increase up from 50% the week of July 3rd. The CDC reporting 91 million Americans are now living in counties with high transmission a new study conducted by virological.org finding those infected with the Delta variant carry 1,000 times more viral load than those with the original strain. Cities across the nation from Chicago to New Orleans facing the possibility of imposing new restrictions. If we allow the virus to continue to linger here in Chicago, We will likely have
2: to reinforce some of the restrictions that have come to infamously define much of 2020 and part of 2021. But we want to be clear that all options are on the table, um, that the statistics and the startling rise in case numbers that we're seeing are a tremendous cause for concern, um, and that we're going to do everything we can to get that back under control.
1: Las Vegas already taking action. Clark County officials overnight requiring all employees to wear masks in indoor public places, regardless of vaccination status. In New York City, the mayor now targeting unvaccinated healthcare workers, announcing a new strategy starting in August.
3: We need our healthcare workers to be vaccinated, uh, and it's getting dangerous with the Delta variant. So I think it's time to do something different and New York City is ready to lead the way. We're saying uh, get vaccinated or get tested weekly.
1: Meanwhile, as cases rise and the White House battles, misinformation, health officials on Tuesday, testifying before Congress. Sparks flying as Senator Rand Paul of Kentucky attacked Dr. Anthony Fauci about the origins of the pandemic, suggesting Fauci helped fund the lab in Wuhan, China, which was genetically manipulating viruses and other microbes to predict which mutations might lead to significant changes something some believe led to the pandemic.
2: You do not know what you are talking about quite frankly, and I want to say that officially. We don't know.
4: Well, we don't wait know a if minute. It did I come from the lab, but you, all the evidence is pointing that it came from the lab, you, and there will be responsibility for those who funded the lab including yourself.
2: I totally This committee resent, will allow the witness to respond. I totally resent the lie that you are now propagating, Senator
1: and also now the white house is reporting that a staffer one of their staffers and a senior aide to speaker nancy pelosi have tested positive for covid 19 although they are both fully vaccinated neither has had contact with the president or with nancy pelosi also a study a new study is suggesting that the johnson and johnson vaccine might not be as effective against the delta variants as the pfizer Or Moderna vaccine, the pharmaceutical company is responding to that new study saying that it's not yet peer reviewed and that earlier studies indicated that their vaccine, their single dose shot, is in fact effective against the Delta variant. And right now they're not making any recommendations for a booster shot. Andrea, back to you.
0: Thank you, Lorraine, for that report. Meanwhile, the CDC says life expectancy is down a year and a half in the United States, mainly due to COVID-19. The agency estimating people born in 2020 will live just over 77 years on average. The projected lifespan is lower for men and higher for women. And we're learning that the White House has held regular high level talks with Fox News about the network's reporting on the coronavirus and vaccines. News of the conversations comes just after Fox anchor Sean Hannity on Monday urged his audience to quote, please take COVID seriously. Let's listen. Just like we've been saying, please take COVID seriously. I can't say it enough. Enough people have died. We don't need any more deaths research like crazy. Talk to your doctor, or your doctors, medical professionals you trust based on your unique medical history, your current medical condition, and you and your doctor make a very important decision for your own safety. Take it seriously. Also on Monday, multiple Fox segments pointed viewers to the government's website, and that is vaccines.gov, which Fox hasn't done in weeks. White House outreach to TV networks about COVID-19 isn't uncommon, but these discussions are notable given Fox's coverage, which at times has discouraged the use of vaccines and downplayed the significance and deadliness of COVID-19. All this as Senate Republican leader Mitch McConnell on Tuesday implored unvaccinated Americans to take the COVID-19 shot, issuing a stark and grave warning of a repeat of last year's rising caseloads and shutdowns. McConnell urged Americans to ignore the demonstrably bad advice coming from pundits and others against the vaccines. As cases skyrocket, he noted that nearly all new virus hospitalizations in the U.S. are among people who have not been vaccinated. And now to the growing wildfire threats out west. The bootleg blaze in Oregon has now burned an area roughly half the size of Rhode Island. The fire is so intense, it's creating its own weather, and it's one of just 80 wildfires across 13 states. Rafael Rodriguez has the latest on this situation.
2: The monstrous bootleg fire in Oregon, scorching more than 600 square miles, an area larger than Los Angeles.
5: Right now, this is the fourth largest fire to burn in Oregon since 1900.
2: It is so massive and so dangerous that fire crews have had to escape the blaze nine days in a row.
0: You saw multiple pyrocumulus clouds.
2: The fire also so intense, it's creating its own weather. The formation of pyrocumulus clouds is a phenomenon that enables the fire to create its own thunderstorms, which in turn can produce lightning and strong winds, and even fire tornadoes. In a typical wildfire, the weather will dictate the path and intensity, but with the bootleg fire, experts say, the blaze is predicting what the weather will do. Nearly 1,100 acres burning per hour and containment hovering just around 30%. Nearly 70 homes have been destroyed. After last
5: year, what is very clear is that no corner of our state is immune to fire. On the West Coast and here in Oregon, the urgent and dangerous climate crisis has exacerbated conditions on the ground.
2: But the bootleg fire is far from alone. More than 80 large wildfires are raging in 13 states across the country, burning more than 1 million acres. In California, the Tamarack fire has forced the evacuation of at least a half dozen communities. Most were only given a few minutes to evacuate when the fire exploded on Saturday, going from 500 acres now to nearly 40,000. We had 10 minutes to grab, you know, what we could and the dog and got out of there. Anxious residents allowed to return to their homes with an escort to look around and grab some essentials.
4: Just hoping to see our house still standing. I know, you know, they say it's okay, but I really want to see it for myself. It's scary.
6: The uh, deputy just told us that our house is still standing.
1: We just want to check it all out.
2: Rafael Rodriguez, U News.
0: Meanwhile, in Washington, the bipartisan infrastructure deal in precarious shape ahead of a crucial test vote today as senators struggle over how to pay for nearly $1 trillion in public works spending. Edwin Pitti has the latest from Washington, D.C. Edwin, what can you tell us at this time?
7: Andrea, at this time, we know that Republicans will vote to block the debate on this bipartisan infrastructure bill, Those were the words of the top GOP negotiator, Rob Portman. He added that there is no way that they can pull this thing together. The vote was scheduled for today by Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer after claiming that this was a test due to the agreements already made. But Republicans insist that they need more time because the bill is not even finalized and there isn't a clear plan as to how the money will be spent. We are talking about a $1.2 trillion in spending over eight years, $579 billion in new spending over five years and also funding to build roads, bridges, railroads, airports, along with water, power and broadband projects. Republicans are now signaling that if Schumer were to push the vote to Monday, they would be able to support it. But the White House is standing by Schumer. Take a listen.
1: This, I would remind you all that this agreement was reached almost a month ago, and we believe that, it's not only, uh, that not only is this achievable, we owe it to the families in red states and blue states who have waited so long for the improvements to their lives uh, uh, that, for, for this to have an impact.
7: The budget resolution would pour federal money into addressing many issues, including climate change and health care. Senator Portman also said that this is an infrastructure package that is built from the middle out, that is responsible because it has no tax increases and it will fund something essential, making reference to the crumbling infrastructure around America. Meanwhile, President Biden travels to Ohio today, where he's expected to promote the bipartisan infrastructure framework plan And it will be the first time he goes to Cincinnati since taking office. Live in Washington, D.C., back to you, Andrea.
0: Thanks so much, Edwin, for all that. And now to ongoing developments tied to former President Donald Trump. Tom Barrack, the chairman of former Trump's inaugural fund, has been arrested and charged with acting as an agent of a foreign country. He's accused of illegally lobbying his good friend Trump at the direction of officials of the United Arab Emirates. Tom Barrick is a billionaire businessman and one of Donald Trump's best friends.
4: I'm here because Donald Trump is one of my closest friends for 40 years.
0: Trump chose Barrick to chair his 2017 inaugural committee, which raised a record $107 million. But now, Barrick has been arrested in California on federal charges, failing to register as a foreign agent, obstruction of justice, and a lying to investigators one of his employees, Matthew Grimes, was also arrested and charged. Prosecutors say Barrick used his connection to Trump to act as an agent for the United Arab Emirates, even working with UAE officials to insert a line into one of then-candidate Trump's 2016 campaign speeches. Prosecutors say that influence could be seen in this line of a speech that Trump gave in May of 2016. We'll work
5: with our Gulf allies to develop a positive energy relationship.
0: Afterwards, an Emirati official emailed Barrick, saying, quote, congrats on the great job today. Everybody here are happy with the results, end quote. Prosecutors allege that Barrick's assistance allegedly continued into the Trump administration between January 2017 and October 2017. Barrick allegedly acted to aid the UAE in its dealings with the executive branch. That included agreeing to advocate for the appointment of individuals favored by the UAE in the new U.S. government administration. When the FBI interviewed Barrick in 2019 about his activities with the UAE, prosecutors allege Barrick knowingly made numerous materially false statements. In a statement, Barrick said he is cooperating with investigators and continuing to say he is not guilty of the charges against him. Barrick will be detained until a hearing that will take place on Monday. Moving on to a growing threat in the skies. This year, the nation seeing a spike in unruly passengers aboard planes. In the past week alone, federal authorities received reports of 89 new incidents and seven more incident filings are on the way. According to the FAA, as of Tuesday, there have been more than 3,500 unruly passenger reports this year. Most of those incidents, about 2,600, involve the federal transportation mask mandate. And according to TSA, 85 officers have been assaulted at airports checkpoints. Two of those incidents happening this past Monday alone. Joining us to discuss all this issue is Paul Harthorn Jr. He's with the Association of Professional Flight Attendants, which represents 24,000 American Airlines flight attendants. Paul, welcome to U News. Thank you so much for joining us today.
4: Thank you for having me.
0: So as we just noted, there's an unprecedented amount of misbehavior at airports. How is this impacting flight attendants such as yourself?
4: Sure. This We've seen an increased level of hostility, like something we've never before seen in the airline industry. Um, the verbal attacks are daily. They're turning into physical attacks, not only on our flight attendants, but on physical attacks between passengers. Um, we have flight attendants that fear coming to work. The situation is growing, it's out of control. At our airline alone, we've seen 13,000 safety reports thus far in 2021 and almost 66% of those had an issue with passenger misconduct. So it's a growing problem and it's a problem that needs to be contained.
0: Now, how have flight attendants traditionally been trained to deal with these unruly passengers? And has that changed perhaps during this COVID times, during the pandemic?
4: We've always, in our annual FAA-required training, had programs that help us in self-defense, that help us with de-escalation techniques, but we've never been prepared for the amount of issues we're seeing and the multi-person situations that we're seeing, this mentality on board the aircraft that is very dangerous when the aircraft's on the ground at the gate, but becomes exponentially more dangerous at 35,000 feet.
0: In your opinion, what are the factors fueling most of these altercations on board planes that we are seeing, perhaps that you have witnessed or heard of yourself?
4: Sure. I think probably one of the main issues, obviously, is mass compliance. Flight attendants are charged with having to enforce this. It's very difficult. It's very uncomfortable wearing a mask for two, three, five hours. We're very uncomfortable on board the aircraft as well. So we understand those issues, the mass compliance, along with just misconduct issues, but also the issues are a lot of times being exacerbated by the use of alcohol, the use of alcohol excessively in the terminal before boarding, and then, of course, passengers who sneak alcohol on board the aircraft to drink it during the flight.
0: The FAA has received more than 3,400 reports of unruly passengers this year, but only seven cases have been closed. Is the system enforcing regulations for passengers working? What do you think?
4: We definitely need enforcement of the penalties. It's a federal uh, aviation regulation. You are not allowed to interfere with a crew member. You must follow the crew member instructions. And it's our job to get that out there, to make sure that passengers know the minute they pass through those doors to enter the airport, to approach the ticket counter, that that is a federal aviation regulation. So it's something we have to work on. We have to make sure that law enforcement authorities at every airport that we serve are all on the same page. A coalition of labor unions, just like last week, sent a letter to uh, Attorney General Garland to make sure that this is of top priority because flight attendants are being injured daily, and they're dealing with verbal verbal abuse daily on these airplanes, and it has to stop.
0: On a broader level, travel is surging to pre-pandemic levels, but many flight attendants and pilots were furloughed last year when flyers halted their travel plans. How is this affecting travelers and the staffing of flights? I um, personally have witnessed issues, perhaps at restaurants, at hotels, that they are understaffed.
4: Sure. You can just walk through the airports and see many uh, food concessions still closed. That's not because there's not business. It's because there's not staffing. It's also affected pilots and flight attendants greatly as well. Uh, Pilots and flight attendants just can't get called back to work on a Monday and fly a flight on a Friday. We have FAA mandated training that we must perform before we can return to active flying. Uh, We have seen, and I'll say thankfully, we've seen that customer demand has returned much more quickly than anticipated by the airlines. So that's both good and bad. We're happy to see everyone back. We're happy to have them back. But at the same time, it has created tremendous strain on our staffing systems. You couple that with the weather that has affected many of the large hubs across the United States for the past couple of months, and it's created a pressure cooker issue. And it absolutely adds to the frustration of our passengers. which just something we would like to contain.
0: Thank you for sharing all this insight. Paul Harthorn Jr. of the Association of Professional Flight Attendants. Hopefully this situation resolves sooner than later. Have a great day.
4: Thank you. Thank you.
0: In South Texas, the influx in the number of migrants attempting to cross the border, coupled with the still ongoing pandemic, is causing chaos across the entire region. Now, local officials say they're taking drastic action. Pedro Rojas explains.
3: Authorities in Laredo, Texas, issue a disaster declaration order prohibiting the transfer of migrants arrested at the border to that city, and file a lawsuit against the federal government, the Department of Homeland Security, and the agency secretary Alejandro Mayorkas, seeking a restraining order. The move follows the discovery of 329 positive COVID-19 cases and a shortage of hospitals and medical personnel. We are going through a dangerous scenario here. We may not be where we have been before, but we don't want to get there either, the county judge says. A Department of Homeland Security spokesperson says that they don't comment on pending litigation. The mayor of Laredo justified the legal action. If we don't fix the hospitals, uh, neither our people nor the migrants uh, will have availability there. uh, uh, So the hospitals need uh, to expand uh, their capacity. The massive influx of migrants is also a concern from some of the Rio, Texas residents.
0: Many want to hurt us, and
3: that is the problem. Many also think that we are racist. And that isn't the truth, Virginia Blanco says. It appears that the high temperatures at the border are not stopping the massive influx of migrants.
1: The journey into the United States is uh, dangerous, but especially now during the summer heats, Um, we advised these uh, migrants not to make the trip and not to risk their lives in that that manner.
3: Over the weekend, more than 1,000 migrants were arrested in La Grulla, Texas. Among them was a group of 298 composed of unaccompanied minors and families. Border Patrol agents say that many were dehydrated and needed medical attention. In Peñitas, Texas, Pedro Rojas, U News.
0: A shelter along the U.S.-Mexico border is housing an unusually high percentage of migrants seeking refuge from the violence and chaos of the Mexican state of Michoacán. Jaime Garcia explains how that's giving us an inside look at the crisis facing those back home.
6: The days are marked by children playing, the sound of welding machines, and the smell of food cooking by the fire at this migrant shelter in the border town of Tijuana. We have seen an increment of Mexican nationals in the last three months, coming especially from Michoacán. This shelter was established three years ago to help the migrants coming from Central America. Now, 340 of the 400 asylum seekers here are from Mexico.
0: They took me out in disguise.
6: This young couple arrived to the border on a trip they never planned. They are seeking asylum in the United States, after being the target of criminal groups that have taken hostage several towns in the Mexican state of Michoacán. They called me on the phone demanding 50,000 pesos, about $2,500 each month. I told them that my business doesn't generate that money. Then they threatened me, tell me that I will have to pay it with my life instead. Afraid for their safety, they reveal their identity. These retailers show us a video with the bullet impact shot to his house as a retaliation from filing a complaint with the picture of one of his blackmailers. Within five minutes, I received a call from the criminals warning me not to be distributing their pictures. But even during the stressful waiting for their asylum process, some of these migrants that had forcefully left Michoacán are still getting graphic live threads on their phones.
3: They receive horrific
6: images that I had only expected from the Middle East. For example, a video of someone being beheaded. In Tijuana, Mexico, Jaime Garcia, U News.
0: More of U News after this short break. Welcome back to U News. Joining us to discuss this new era of space flight is retired NASA astronaut Nicole Stott. Thank you so much for being with us. It's great to have you on, Nicole. Welcome.
5: Hi Andrew, nice to be here. Thank you.
0: As a veteran astronaut with two space flights and 104 days living and working in space, what was your reaction to Jeff Bezos's and Richard Branson's space flight? I
5: don't know. I don't know. For me, big smile on my face to see, um, you know, not just them having this experience, but the opportunity for this to open up for so uh, many more people um, to have it as well, to see the Earth from a, a whole new perspective.
0: Unlike Branson's rocket, Bezos's capsule was completely automated and required no official staff on board. Now, how significant is that for the future of commercial space travel? Uh,
5: I think I think it's really significant. Actually, I think there's a place for both of these methods of operation, um, depending on what what you're seeing ultimately is the role of the spacecraft. Uh, I think the autonomy allows um, us to build bigger, faster, to go um, to different places. You know, Bezos, for sure, is looking at extending the capability of these spacecraft to um, lower orbit and beyond. Whereas I believe Branson is uh, is interested more in how you extend the business of travel here on the planet and getting
0: from point A to point B. Now we know that Bezos' booster and rocket are reusable. Very interesting. Now, how does that change the viability of commercial space travel?
5: Uh, well, I think it uh, is one of the factors that plays into the uh, the ability over time for the the cost of this kind of travel to uh, to go down. Uh, you know, the space shuttle for sure had aspects of reusability, which I'm you know very proud of having flown on that spacecraft. But I think as we go forward, more and more of that is going to have to play into the design of these spacecraft to make it, like you say, a viable. Uh, option for for travel not just here on the planet but uh further out into space
0: now do you see the commercial aspirations of these billionaires competing in any way with nasa over space exploration that is something that i personally wonder
5: uh no and i think you'll see right now that you know nasa is actively involved with all of this activity that's going on when you look at spacex in particular there's a really wonderful public private partnership going on there What's allowed uh, Musk and SpaceX to kind of accelerate what they've been doing is because of the support of NASA, not just from lessons learned, but in guiding through requirements and things. And I think NASA is really interested in leveraging these commercial companies in a way that allows them to grow their business model for sure, um, but also allows NASA to pull out and extend their capabilities by doing the, the more advanced research, looking at further off the planet and uh, and also how we continue to bring all of what we're doing in space back to the Earth for, you know, for the benefit of all of us.
0: Now the cost of a space flight is still way beyond reach for the average person, with a spot in Branson's rocket going for $250,000. So do you see commercial spaceflight becoming eventually accessible for ordinary people in this lifetime?
5: I certainly hope so. You know, I think some of the things we've already talked about, the reusability, the, the model based on the number of people that I think are interested in doing this. Already we're seeing, you know, the, uh, the opportunities for flights to be, you know, donated and people to um, open up that, that chance for folks. Uh, yeah, $250,000, that's a lot of money. It's not something I, I can fork over or that a lot of people I know are able to pay for this, but I look at it. Uh, In terms of the evolution of what we saw in aviation, I think that was hugely prohibitive in the beginning for people to fly. And now, you know, within 100 years, look at where we are with uh, just commercial aviation. And I'm really hopeful for that kind of opportunity with spaceflight as well.
0: It's definitely something very interesting, exciting and historic, as we've noted. So thank you so much, retired astronaut Nicole Stott. Thank you for your time. It was great talking to you today.